Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow here tonight. And it was going to be a great show tonight because we were going to talk about Watkins Glen and what a great weekend Watkins Glen was. Chase Elliott went out there. Uh, son of the, one of the most popular drivers in NASCAR goes out there and wins in an epic race, a race that was fantastic. It was on the edge of your seat, had you on the edge of your seat the entire Last 15 laps. Was Martin Truex Jr. going to chase down Chase Elliott? He couldn't pass him at the end, and Chase Elliott went to victory lane. That was supposed to be the story. That's how this show was supposed to start. That's how this show was supposed to go. Instead, John, we're talking about what I believe could be the one of the most darkest days in NASCAR since the death of Dale Earnhardt. This is if, if any other CEO, chairman, or commissioner, whatever you want to call it, got arrested, it would, it would be gigantic news. And in NASCAR, it's no different. So today, Brian France, if you're under a rock, Brian France got arrested Monday night, or Sunday night, excuse me, um, in the Hamptons. He got charged with DUI and being in possession of a controlled substance. John Harlow, your initial reaction when you got the news this morning about Brian France getting arrested? My initial reaction, uh, I had a couple of them. First of all, um, as a human being, you hope the guy gets help. Second of all, as a NASCAR fan, I felt bad for Chase Elliott. Here's a kid who's busted his butt, worked his you-know-what off to get to where he is. Did he get a couple breaks because he's Bill Elliott's son? Probably. But he's shown the talent, and here he is. He gets his first win after eight second-place finishes, or nine second-place finishes. It's Hendrick Motorsports' 250th win. We should have had a hell of a show talking about Chase Elliott. And probably when I get done saying this sentence, that's about all we're going to talk until about 1045. I think Brian France is a disgrace to the sport. I think you've heard drivers, you've heard Tony Stewart in the past, you've heard Brad Keselowski in the past. The face and CEO of the sport needs to be part of the sport. We run once a week. And you know where he was? He was in the Hamptons. Nowhere near Watkins Glen where an unbelievable story unfolded. We had a great 15 laps where two drivers, one a championship driver, one a young gun, fought it out tooth and nail. In certain spots of the track, one person had a great, I mean, had a great, Chase Elliott was unbelievable through the bus stop. The last lap, Chase Elliott wheel hops going into turn one and Truex has a chance to get close. And Chase Elliott could have easily spun out, but no, he threw it out of gear, put it in neutral, made it around the corner, dropped it into the gear, and pulled away from Truex. We had a phenomenal finish. But here we are talking about Brian France. Drunk driving with oxycodone in his pocket. There's always been the rumors that he did um, a rehab stint before, that he's always denied, but it's been reported he sold his interest in NASCAR, and he's still the CEO. I hope to God, first of all, I hope he gets help. But second of all, for the best interest of the sport, I hope Jim France and Lisa France Kennedy 
Tell Brian France, thank you. Please go do whatever the hell you're going to do and stay away from this sport because he's been ruining it for the past 10 years. And yesterday, I mean, the sad part is Dale Earnhardt losing him was a racing accident. And it was sad. Today, this is self-imposed. It isn't like Earnhardt said, okay, I'm going to hit the wall. No, Brian France did this to himself. He did this to the sport. He doesn't think about the sport. He thinks about himself. And it pretty well, I mean, it sucks terribly. I feel bad for Chase Elliott. I feel bad for Hendrick Motorsports. I feel bad for the car owners. I feel bad for the people who run the sport. Because picture Spencer Gallagher a couple weeks ago, caught on a test. And here you go. You got the CEO of NASCAR showing up in a drunk driving report with oxycodone on him. Was he sober when eight, when uh, Spencer Gallagher popped hot for the test, or was he doing drugs? It's a sad day for NASCAR. It sucks, and I hope like hell Brian France gets the help he get he needs. But Jim, and Lee, Jim France and Lisa France Kennedy tell him to stay the hell away and don't ever come back. 917-889-8280 here if you want to join the show. Talking Circles, Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow here tonight discussing the news of the day, unfortunately, of Brian France. And I think that's the biggest thing that you touched on. To me, this could have been easily prevented. This is what I have a problem with. And, and you discussed it earlier, and we've heard so many people talk about Brian France in a way of he's not at the racetrack. He's he's hard to 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 you know discuss the sport with to me when he talks it seems like he's sort of out in left field and in a completely different direction than other people who are in that who are nascar talking and maybe that's because he's giving us something that is way ahead of what we're seeing but there's been a lot of negativity in this sport in the last decade um, and, and a lot of fans blame Brian France for a lot of that. Uh, the COT, he was strictly behind. Uh, that, for all really intensive purposes, was pretty much an epic failure. Um, you know, the sport is much safer than where it was 15 years ago, even 20 years ago. Um, he was a force behind that, sure. Uh, but I think a lot of people overall look at Brian France as, as a guy who um, – sort of looks out for what brings in the best bang for the buck and not necessarily the best interest of the sport. Um, And to me, I don't know how a CEO of this sport can operate by not going to the racetrack. He, and and there's no excuse for it. I'm sorry. He makes, uh, who knows the amount, what his salary is, but I guarantee you it's a lot more than anybody else out there. He should be at the racetrack at least. He should be at the race at least two-thirds of the races, and he's not. Um, and I think an easy solution to this whole problem would have been if he was out walking Glenn on, sat, on Sunday doing his job, being in the festivities, being, handing Chase Elliott the trophy over, and smiling at the racetrack and going, that's what should have been done. That's what should have happened. And at the end of the day, that's that's accurate. I mean, he needs to be at the racetrack, and he hasn't been for a long while. And uh, you know, it's you can't get in a car. You got to make a better decision than that. And I'm sorry. I know people say, well, he's got an issue, and that's fine. But you know, if you have a drinking, there's a difference between having a drinking problem and driving a car drunk. That is a a decision he made to get in that car and drive. And, listen, I, who knows um, how many times it was done in the past. There was an article, uh, 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 I remember a few years ago, probably like 15 now, that was published that he had some issues back in Daytona Beach a few years back. Um, but nothing really came of it. So, you know, this is, a, this is a, a real bad black eye for the sport. We should have been talking about Chase Elliott's win today and just how great that race was, because that was one of the best races we've seen in the last four or five years. It was excellent. And, I mean, it was, like I said, everybody in the media center at Watkins Glen was on the edge of their seat 
I was in conversations with people who are fans that were on the edge of their seat saying, this is awesome. This is what we need. It was an, a terrific battle. One of the most popular guys in the sport winning his first race, and it's overshadowed. And what, you just have to wonder what's next. That's where you have, what have to go. Uh, it came out today that NASCAR and Brian France have decided that they, he's going to take an immediate leave of absence from the sport. He apologized to the fans, the industry, and his family for the, for the mistakes he made. Um, and he ought to because that was a really, really stupid decision. And what's next, John? I mean, what do you think they do here? Obviously, Jim France now, for people who aren't familiar what happens, Brian France is now – uh, taking a leave of absence from the sport. Jim France, who owns NASCAR, who's a shareholder of NASCAR with Lisa France Kennedy, who's also the CEO of International Speedway Corporation. That's Brian's sister. Jim France is Bill France Jr.'s brother, Brian's uncle, Lisa's uncle as well. Uh, he steps in as CEO in the interim to take over, I guess, the day-to-day operations of NASCAR. So Jim France is in, John, but he's 73 years old, and that's not – too old to operate, but if Brian is indeed can't bounce back from this, um, they're going to have to go in a different direction here in the next two or three years. So I guess my question is, in the short term, what's the, what's the answer here for NASCAR and for Brian France? Look, again, I said I hope Brian France gets the help he, help he needs. As a human being, you want to see somebody be successful in life. You don't want to see them struggle with addiction um, you see it all the time and you don't want to see somebody go through it and you feel for his family because I mean, you look at that mugshot and the mugshot wasn't directly after being pulled over that mugshot probably was a couple hours later and he was still out of it. The way the mugshot looks. If I'm looking at the way the day-to-day operation goes moving forward, I think Uncle Jim, um, Jim France, one of the co-owners of NASCAR, um, takes the day-to-day reins at least through the rest of this season and probably continues next season. Again, I hope that Brian France is done. This is something, if you are the leader of the sport, I don't think you come back from. If you look, Ben Kennedy, who had a – uh, aspiring truck career going, a driving driving career going. And there was a chance that, I mean, they thought he was going to grow up through the ranks. And all of a sudden this year, he hung it up, started working for the family business. There you got, you got somebody who can run it for a while, somebody who understands it from the driver perspective, from the owner perspective, what they go through, and can be beneficial to the sport from somebody who's been in it instead of somebody who inherited it. Again, whenever Brian France took over as CEO, the only thing he did in NASCAR was marketing. He didn't, he didn't promote. He didn't do anything. He did the marketing and built the L.A. office and built the New York office. He didn't do anything in the day-to-day operations. And then when his father passed away, Brian became the CEO. And the reason it was successful for a few years is because Big Bill France, I mean, Bill France Jr., had Mike Helton as his right-hand man. And as Bill France Jr. got sick and the cancer took over even more, Mike Helton took a stronger role in NASCAR and ran the day-to-day operations. And then Brian sort of started pushing him out. And you look, the more invisible that Mike Helton has become, even though Mike Helton still has a title of, what, chairman or something like that of NASCAR, the more invisible Mike Helton became, the crappier the sport has been, the crappier the racing, the more um, attendance drops, ratings drop. I mean, don't get me wrong. Brian France negotiated a great deal for everybody, a billion-dollar deal, and I think he had some of it, but there was probably people behind it. A billion-dollar deal for the industry. But the thing is, you have to search to find it. They're on all the cable networks, cable networks that nobody knew about. Because if you remember, the only cable network with sports anybody cared about was ESPN. They're not there anymore. They're on NBCSN and Fox Sports 1. I still 
four years into it, have no idea where the hell all my cable Fox Sports 1 is. It takes me time to find it. And if the racing isn't good, which it struggles at times, I'm not going searching for it. I'll turn on the Red Sox. I'll turn on the Patriots. I'll turn on Fixer Upper. If it's something that isn't going to keep me at the edge of my seat, I'm not going searching for it. And now to watch NASCAR, yesterday the race was on Big NBC. But next week, they're on NBCSN. And thankfully, I know where that is because it's not far from ESPN on my cable. But whenever you're searching for the network, you don't make deals with the hotels around the tracks. And NASCAR has enough pull that they can say to the hotel, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're not going to rape our people coming in. We're going to find a way to make it work where we're partners in this. And you're going to charge the people coming to your hotels a decent rate. Instead of it being $350 a night on NASCAR weekend and 72 when NASCAR is not in town. I see going forward, Jim France taking the reins to at least the rest of the season, probably next, and then Ben Kennedy slowly but surely moving his way up the ranks to become the new CEO of NASCAR. It is interesting. Kennedy's a young guy. I mean, he's, he, I'm totally okay with that. In a, in a, you know, I think everybody kind of saw that maybe after Brian, he would do that. He's a young guy. I don't think he's past the age of 25, 26 years old, Ben Kennedy. So that'd be kind of wild to have the CEO of NASCAR under the age of 30, it might be an a interesting strategic move because you sit there and you go, well, that's the kind of demographic we want to hit. And maybe he can bring a little bit of a different vibe because you say, hey, um, he knows what those kids like because he's that age. But you're right. I think Brian obviously needs to get the help. They didn't really come out and say he was going to rehab. Um, but it's, it's an unfortunate day. I mean, it, it's just a day where uh, – and, and I think a lot of people – like I said before, blame Brian for a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the negativity and the downfall of this sport, whether it's ratings or uh, attendance and, and racetracks tearing down seats and all that, the lack of popularity. I think Brian gets a lot of the finger pointing because he's the, ultimately the man who makes the final that has a final say. Um, so I guess my question next is. Do you think this will change that? I mean, Jim France technically is the owner of NASCAR. If he wanted to overrule what Brian said, he probably could do it. Um, I'm not sure he wants the responsibilities to run the day-to-day operation of NASCAR, and that's why Brian was there. Uh, you know, here he is now in that role. Do you think there will be any changes as far as everything that goes down with NASCAR. Well, one of the things Jim France has done, he's, um, whenever they bought IMSA, Jim France has run that for years. Um, He's had a say in it. He's always been the vice chairman of NASCAR, but they worked it out that Brian's going to have the lead. And even when they bought Brian out, I don't know if it was something they left in there or it was something that was in Bill France Jr.'s will that Brian would be the CEO or something until the entire family's not out of it. I mean, there's a couple things that you really look at, and um, the rumors have been out there that NASCAR is up for sale. And Brian France hasn't come out and said, nope, it's not. It's going to stay in the France family as long as there is a France family. He's always said that we're committed to running NASCAR, but he didn't say for any length of time. So, I mean, if you can't get a straight answer out of him about whether NASCAR is for sale or not, I don't know what kind of straight answer we're going to get out of him of whether or not he's going to rehab, whether or not he thinks he has a problem, whether or not this was a cry for help, whether or not they know what the heck he knows what the heck he's doing. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of, I mean, you've seen people, the people who've come in to take roles in the organization. They aren't racers in a lot of ways. There's a lot of people who are marketers. There's a lot of people who are um, just businessmen, but they're not racers. They're not promoters. They don't know what it takes to, I mean, heck, what was it? Two weeks ago, 
the guy who's the COO of NASCAR said, we need to stop being negative about it. That's why NASCAR is struggling in attendance and struggling on the TV ratings because everybody's negative about everything. Well, guess what? Brian France, you gave us every right to be negative about anything that says NASCAR because the word NASCAR is associated with the France family. You have put a, you put a black mark on NASCAR. It always was, everybody always said, well, hey, at NASCAR, you don't see the drivers beating their wives like you see football players, or you don't see the, the drug use like you have in other sports. Guess what? The CEO of NASCAR has done the drug use and the DUI, and if you read some of the stuff that came out whenever he was going through his divorce, there were some real shady dealings in that. So you've got the big black mark on NASCAR because Brian France cannot take care of himself, cannot take care of his life right now. And it's going to stain the sport going forward. And the sad part is we have a phenomenal story. You and I talked from the minute Dale Jr. announced his retirement, who's going to be the next most popular driver? And to a person, 99% of us, you, me, Lee, and Virginia, and I think everybody who's called in the show in the past year has said, Chase Elliott, it's his, his mantle to take. And he came out yesterday, and he did it. And he beat Truex in a convincing fashion. I mean, it was a great race to beat Truex. It wasn't like he backed into it. It wasn't like he did a pit gamble, took two tires or something, backed into a win. It wasn't because it got rained out. He outraced Truex those last 15 laps, which were phenomenal. And thank God there was no caution because Kyle Busch was better than everybody coming up, coming from 24th to 3rd during that last run. But, I mean, we had a great story to talk about today. Hendrick Motorsports 250th win. Chevy showing horsepower, Chevy showing their way around the track, Chevy showing they can handle. Young gun, family name, history of the sport, Chase Elliott with his first win. And a lot of times when you get that first one under your belt, if you're going to be a superstar, two, three, and four come right, they come in the near future. So we're, we should have been talking about, do we think this is going to be a trend or we think this is a one-off? But no, instead of talking about Chase Elliott, Instead of talking about what Hendrick Motorsports has brought to NASCAR, 250 wins with a boatload of drivers, we're talking about Brian France, DUI in the Hamptons with oxycodone. Yep. NASCAR is a blue-collar sport, and you've got your CEO who can't make it to the race, hanging out in the Hamptons, getting drunk, and having oxycodone in his possession. You yeah, embarrass the sport, my friend. It is. How about this angle? I mean, this is a sport that, and and I respect this more than anything. And I, I'm I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure you do as well. We have a very very strict uh, drug and alcohol policy in NASCAR, and you know we've seen guys get suspended from it. You mentioned Spencer Gallagher earlier this season uh, for testing positive for a banned substance. Um, A.J. Allmendinger a few years back up tested positive for a banned substance, which was at the July race at Daytona. He didn't have any time. Uh, you know, I remember they flew Sam Hornish Jr. into that race via helicopter, via Penske's helicopter, and he landed on the race and hopped in the 22 car and went racing. So that's how quick that happened. Um, and that's how bad NASCAR wanted to get that away. And then there's Jeremy Mayfield, who got suspended for oxycodone. Uh, or got suspended for methamphetamine. Jeremy Mayfield was meth. Right, methamphetamines. And uh, in 2009 or 2010, I believe it was, and was suspended for life. Hasn't done a rehab, according to NASCAR. Hasn't done a rehab to come back. Mayfield denied the claims. I guess what I'm asking, what my point is, do you think it's when you look at this sport and you look at their uh, drug and alcohol policy, their drug policy, for them not to come out today and say that Brian France is no longer the CEO of NASCAR, 
Is that the right decision? And do you think Jim France, who's now the CEO, needs to come out and make additional statements on Friday? Because the statement they released tonight did not have much context. It leaves a lot of questions. Um, it's not like, well, Brian's going to be going through rehab. didn't get into any detail at all. And I understand it's very new, and they need to kind of figure out what's going to happen. But on Friday at Michigan, when everybody gets down to Michigan, do you think, I think the first order of business for NASCAR needs to be need, – they need to address this. They need to figure out a way to tell you what's going on. Brian made a mistake. Here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing to redeem this because it looks bad for the sport if they have a no-tolerance drug policy and then kind of just Brian takes a leave of absence to focus on personal issues – but personal issues doesn't mean going to rehab. So I just think it would be huge damage control of Jim France and even Mason France Kennedy sitting side by side of each other and taking questions in the media center because I think that would go a long way and just trying to figure out what's going on here because, like I said, the statements released today were very, very brief. And they are, and they're going to be. Part of it is they have to respect HIPAA laws. Um, Brian France, the reason we know that he has been charged with DUI and drug possession is because it was a criminal matter. If somebody fails a drug test, all they can say is he failed. They can't go into it and all that stuff because of the HIPAA laws. Uh, no matter what, the person has a right to the privacy of their medical records. Here's what needs to happen Friday when they go to Michigan. Lisa France Kennedy and Jim France need to stand at a podium and say, Brian France is indefinite leave of absence. He is suspended without pay until he completes the NASCAR road to recovery program. Because I'll tell you flat out, if I'm a driver, I get popped on a test. And the CEO of NASCAR, who has been arrested for DUI and possession of oxycodone, has not been placed in the NASCAR Road to Recovery program, or if I'm a tire carrier, or if I'm the guy who cooks on the grill, but I have a hard card, if I'm Randy LaJoy, who was a spotter, and you tested hot, if I'm Todd Parrott, who lost my crew chief gig because he did something stupid once. I'm in federal court suing NASCAR because the policy does not impact everybody. I would be, my lawyers would have owned the sport by the time I got done with it. Or at least I go bankrupt trying because if you cannot go from the top down and say, our sport has rules, and everybody from Brian France to the guy who takes the tickets at Kansas Speedway is subject to it. I don't know mm-hmm. why it's, it's even a policy. And and let's then they and, really have no uh, no no juice to go on. And I think if it was an, another person inside that sport, it would be the same precedent precedent as they had with Mayfield and with, um, as you mentioned, Todd Parrott and all those guys, all those people who um, had issues in the past. So I think it would be the same president. So why is it different for Brian France? Because he's CEO, and I guess there's nobody to report to. Uh, but I agree with you. I think he'd have, especially if he came back in this, if he bounced back and said, hey, you know, I, I went to what, you know, what we did. Um, I went in and handled my personal issues, and I'm back, and I'm ready, and it's, it's in my past life. You know, if you didn't do the Road for Recovery program, how can you look somebody in the eye and tell them they have to do that? Um, and they're going to say, well, you didn't do it. So, you know, I, I think that's definitely necessary. Um, it's a very, very unfortunate situation. It's just – it's almost unbelievable that it happened. It could not and – I, and I said this numerous times, and I'm going to say it again. It could not have happened – at a worse time for NASCAR. You know, we talked today about Chase Elliott's win and what that would have done. A positive vibe going to Michigan, which Michigan's not one of my favorite racetracks, I won't lie, but it would have been a positive vibe just going there and saying, okay, maybe Chevrolet. You know, you got the interest peak to the fans again because right now, early in this season, it looked like the three, the big three were really going to run away with it. And um, 
Now Chase Elliott comes in. I know it's a road course race, and you say, well, it's road course. We've only got three of them on the schedule. That's true. But Chase has looked very quick. Uh, I wouldn't say very quick, but he's looked a lot better, a lot more competitive in the last couple of weeks, especially, uh, you know, the week before Pocono and the week before that one at New Hampshire. He's, he's looked okay. And um, they it, it brings interest. Will they do the same thing at Michigan? And now we're talking about this. So, um, final thoughts. Well, one thing on, I was, on I was listening to Moody. This, Go ahead. I was listening to Moody this afternoon when you were talking about Chase Elliott. And if you go back the last four races, the top four point scorers are Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex, and Chase Elliott. If you go back three races, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., and Kevin Harvick. Chase Elliott has averaged 50 points a race the last three races by winning a stage and this time winning the race. There's uh, Just looking at Bob Pockers' article about Brian France and Bob Pockers, I mean, both you and I respect what he writes. And Bob Pockers isn't one to jump on bad wagons. Usually Bob Pockers reports facts. He usually doesn't throw his opinion too much into it. But for once he did, and it's really appreciated. Bob Pockers wrote, time will tell. There's one thing for sure. There should be some upset folks over Monday's news and France's action. NASCAR had a great race Sunday with a great storyline. First time winner, Chase Elliott, son of NASCAR Hall of Famer. Elliott needed 99 races and eight often excruciating runner-up finishes to earn his first victory. This was supposed to be the NASCAR storyline that would reign the entire week. And Ford would introduce its new Mustang on Thursday. A new winner, new body style. Talk should be all focused on the racetrack. Instead, NASCAR once again somehow found a way to step on itself, to ruin the mood, to have everybody talking about everything but what NASCAR wishes was a storyline. Damage control and talking points will take center stage this week, unfortunately. NASCAR used to be the sport in which the water cooler talk centered on the drivers and the drama. Instead, the water cooler talk will remain on, can you believe this guy's in charge of NASCAR and what France did on Sunday night? That's Bob Pockers on ESPN.com. And Bob Pockers isn't one of those ones who... Throws his opinion out there on a regular basis. Bob's pretty factual whenever it comes to stories. I think Bob hit the Bob hit the nail on the head. And listen, I, I put this in a piece that's going to be on in tomorrow's newsletter for FrontStretch.com. Of all the mistakes Brian's made, and I think there's been a few for sure. Um, this is by far and away the most the biggest mistake, obviously. And again, it could not have come at a worse time. I mean, it it just it's craziness. I mean, it's almost unbelievable that it came at the time it did because even if you had a day and we had today to talk about Chase Elliott and what happened, it would have been better if it happened tonight instead of last night. It was about as bad as you could get. Um, and, you know, I just, it's, it's just unbelievable. Final thoughts, John, on the whole Brian France situation before we move on to talk about Watkins Glen and the weekend at Watkins Glen. I'm going to say the final paragraph of Bob Pockers' story, and I'm 100% behind it. The France family on Monday night just put off making the pivotal decision. Allow the Brian sideshow to continue for the sake of family pride and control or pull him and control or pull him from the seat and signify this sport isn't just ignoring the signs on the road. Brian France needs to go. It's embarrassing for the yeah, sport. And- I hope he gets the help he needs, but he needs to go. It is. I I completely agree with that. I don't think there's any way he bounces back from this. I really don't. I just think it's it's um, it's just it's too bad. I mean, like I said, and and it's one thing to be, you know, if he was publicly intoxicated and made an, an idiot out of himself, you you'd say, all right, you know, maybe he's got a problem. But it's the next, and it, and it is the root of the problem is drinking. But it's another decision to hop in a car and go driving. Um, and and that that's the big thing. And then the oxycodone is another thing where, and and like I said, I, I just I hope for NASCAR, they they are preparing statements, preparing statements, and preparing everything on Friday because if they stay silent on this, and this is what's one thing I, I think about NASCAR recently is they've been sort of silent on a lot of things that I thought they would come out and speak about, and it's kind of been surprising. Um, they can't be silent on this. It would be a really bad look 
if all they released was a two-sentence paragraph on Monday night and didn't say anything about it next time they came to the racetrack. I think it would be a very, very bad look. So I really think we'll need to get ahead of it. Ford State going the Mustang that's going into the Cup Series on Thursday. And you don't want this thing for Ford's unveiling of the Mustang. I think next car, I mean, talked about Brian, I mean, Lisa France Kennedy and Jim Jim France on Friday having a press conference. They almost need to have it at Daytona tomorrow because well, I, they want to make sure yeah. people's happy. They want to make sure that they want to chase Elliott in the racing whenever we go to Michigan. The quicker you get it out of the news cycle, the better it is. The longer you let it fester, if you're going to polish a turd, polish it early because the later you polish that turd, it's just going to stink more. So they need to get this no. out. They need to have their press people working all night tonight and have everything ready to go and NASCAR call a press conference at 10 o'clock tomorrow or 1 o'clock or whatever it takes. Get it out. Get it done. So Ford can have a and we can go racing. And it flip on the race of the first, first 30 minutes practice broadcast uh, on NBCSN. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point, John. You bring up a great point. I think it would be it would bear, from PR standpoint, it would bury it a little bit too with with Ford's announcement of the Mustang. Um, not entirely, obviously, but it would give some other thing in the news besides Brian France. Um, we'll see. You know, I, I, that's not a bad theory that they need to come out ahead of this. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I I don't understand. I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, obviously, nothing's been reported. Uh, maybe they'll do it early in the morning. Um, that they're going to say, hey, we got a press conference at 1 o'clock tomorrow, but I'm not really sure we're going to see that. 917-889-8280. Moving on from the Brian France situation, there was a race on Sunday. We talked about how great it was. It was Chase Elliott, victory lane, his first career Monster Energy Cup Series victory. Um, It was very similar to his dad's first win. His dad won an 83 after eight second-place finishes at a road course in Riverside, California, Chase Elliott, after eight second-place finishes in a number nine car like his dad did, wins at a road course at Watkins Glen, New York. Um, very similar that way. Chase Elliott goes to victory lane a long time coming. Hendrick Motorsports' first win in over a year. Uh, held off Martin Six Jr., who did everything but wreck Chase Elliott and at, the, at the end of that race to try and get around him. And Chase Elliott was in victory lane. Kyle Busch finished third. And Chase probably got the biggest break, but yeah, he probably got lucky with Kyle Busch because Kyle Busch was up there. He might have passed Chase Elliott, but Chase early on in that race went up there and physically took the lead from Kyle Busch at one point in that race. That showed you how good that nine car was. Um, so who knows how that would have played out, but sometimes you get lucky in this sport and, and uh, luck plays a role in all kinds of racing. So, there's, that shouldn't take away anything from Chase Elliott's win. Um, he deserved it. He went to victory lane, and it was a great race run by the Dawsonville Georgia native. Those last 20 laps, John, were unbelievable. Yeah, I couldn't leave my seat watching those last 20 laps. And the and, and the the thing is, it's like the racing between him and Truex Jr. didn't really – I forgot there were 35 other cars in the race. That's how good that racing was between the two of them you almost forgot that third place was 10 seconds behind them. That's how good the racing was between the two of them. You don't have to have five cars piled up uh, within ten, two tenths of each other to have a great finish. If you have two cars that were dominant in that last run, and there were a lot of them that tried to do mileage because they backed off. I mean, you saw a Truex ran out um, in the middle of the last lap. So Eric Jones backed off, Daniel Suarez backed off, Kyle Busch had more gas than anybody else because they couldn't get the gas in the first time, so he comes in three laps later. But he was 24th. It took him forever to get to the front. But he was 10 seconds behind first and second. And it was just a whale of a race between Chase Elliott and Martin Truex Jr. Truex would try to find ways to get around him, try to show up in different ways in the rearview mirror just to – Make him think about things because there's plenty of chances to make a mistake at Watkins Glen. 
You and I have both seen it. Jeff Gordon did the same thing that Chase Elliott almost did in that last lap. He wheel hopped going into turn one and spun it out, and Tony Stewart passed him to win a race. And to have the thought in your mind, because if you wheel hop, you're not thinking about throwing it in the neutral and saying, oh, that'll stop everything. But he did. He threw it in neutral, and as soon as the wheel hop stopped, put it back in gear, and he's going around and pulling away from Truex again. That is unbelievable thinking in a split second when it's not your natural instinct. I think Chase Elliott has done a few things recently. I was watching the post-race show yesterday, and I think one of the few times I agree with Cal Petty. When Chase Elliott stood up to Denny Hamlin last year, Chase Elliott started being himself. Instead of being the always being Bill Elliott's son or always being this, I mean, Chase Elliott really didn't have his identity. He had his identity as being Bill Elliott's son. But when he stood up to Denny Hamlin, he said, I'm a man. I'm going to do this myself. He did it in the same way that Bill, Bill Elliott would. It wasn't like he punched him in the face. He went up and stood his ground and said, okay, you do this to me. We're not going to deal with it. And then Chase gave him a tap later in the, in the playoffs. And when they switched to the number nine, he's not driving Jeff Gordon's car anymore. He's driving Chase Elliott's car. Chase Elliott grew up driving the number nine. Yeah, it was his favorite car number because it was his dad's. But Chase won in his own stuff in the number nine. He won the Xfinity title in the number nine. And Chase Elliott is his own driver. It's his team now. He's not driving Jeff Gordon's car anymore. He's driving Chase Elliott's. And his, he's making a name for himself on his own. He's not just Bill Elliott's son anymore. He is Chase Elliott. NASCAR winner and driving his car, not Jeff, Jeff Gordon's. And I think over the past year about, because I think it was at what Martinsville, whenever him and Hamlin got into it, but in just under a year, Chase Elliott has changed the perception I have of him. Yeah. Listen, I agree. I think anytime a driver does that, and I can point to Joey Logano when he had his issues with Kyle Busch and he had his issues with uh, Tony Stewart and Denny Hamlin, I think that changed Joey Logano in a lot of people's eyes, where he kind of stood up to a bully who pushed him around on the racetrack. Um, Chase Elliott did last year to Denny Hamlin. I I agree with that. I think it it makes these drivers go, okay, this kid's tired of of taking my crap. Um, For whatever reason, I think it makes you grow as a driver. But Chase had 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 a really interesting 2018 season. I think the first part of the year, that 19 was great first five or six races they were in a really good spot then from then on they they lost their way they just could not find the speed they were about a top 15 place car and now they found that speed again here in the last two or three weeks for whatever reason and he's been very very good um and far and away the best Hendrick motorsports car i was very impressed with william byron in, in his first race at Watkins Glen last night or yesterday too he finished eighth was in the top 10 all day um, Alex Bowman had a pretty good day as well. He finished 14th with a top 15th place car. But again, John, and not to, well, obviously talk about the other part of, parts of the race as well, but while we're on the subject of Hendrick Motorsports, another frustrating day for Jimmy Johnson. 30th, hit the outside ball, uh, had to come in and pit. Just a, a kind of a lost weekend for Jimmy Johnson again in a Hendrick Motorsports team. And as much as we've seen, um, Hendrick Motorsports and Chase Elliott in the last couple of weeks find some speed. That 48 car is not anywhere close to what we're accustomed to seeing it. Right now he's in the playoffs, but he's barely in. He's only got seven top ten finishes this year, Jimmy Johnson, in 22 races. His last – he's got one top ten since Michigan the last time he went there. Um, So it hasn't as good as – Chase has been and found some speed recently. That 48 is still sort of out to lunch here, John, and, and they need to find speed fast if they want to win their eighth championship here in 2018. I think the first segment and a half, Johnson was respectable. He was running top 10 with that 48 car. Johnson got behind the power curve whenever they came into pit, and he came in a pit stall, a half a pit stall too early. One tire ran over the line, so he went more than he went three pit stalls instead of two to get to his pit box, and wound up having to go back to the tail end of the longest line. And he just couldn't get back 
to where he was. I mean, and then he got tapped and wound up hitting the wall. But road courses are all about track position. And he had a decent track position going. He was making his way toward the front. He was in the top 10 for a good bit of the first half of the race. And then that pit stop came. He came in a hair. I mean, he came in one pit stall, part of a pit stall too early. Chad was arguing with it. And NASCAR said the camera shows it. And they put him to the back of the longest line. And he just couldn't get back moving forward from it. It's self-inflicted wounds lately is what's been getting the 48 car. And I think since Jimmy Johnson debuted in the Cup Series in 2002, I don't remember ever hearing the word self-inflicted wounds in the 48 car. No, I agree. And that's, I think, what is most alarming about this is we're just not used to seeing this from the 48 team in Chad Canals. I mean, it's just... They're usually so good. They're usually so on point. They're usually so organized. They're usually the team you look at and you say, oh, they're, they're the best. Jimmy Johnson's had 16 laps this year. That's crazy to, to think about in 22 races. He's won, every, he's won in every full-time season he's run, John. He's won at least two races. In 2011, he won two races. That's the lowest he's ever had in his career. My question is to you, does Jimmy Johnson continue that streak of – Winning races. Does he win a race this year for you? With 14 races to go, does Jimmy Johnson get into victory lane this year? I think his best bet's Indy, because for some reason him and Chad have that had that place figured out. But then again, the Camaro is a whole different animal, and I don't think Chad and Jimmy have their arms wrapped around it yet. If there's a shot, it's going to be Indy. If not, the next best bet's Dover in the fall. But Jimmy Johnson was uncharacteristically not Jimmy Johnson at Dover whenever they ran there in June. That wasn't the Jimmy Johnson we're used to at Dover. You're normally Jimmy Johnson. You just think you're going to hand him Miles the Monsters trophy and just walk away from it. I don't know why we're running 400 laps because Jimmy Johnson's going to win. I think Pocono and Dover are shots. I still think um, closer to retirement than they are another championship. But that's just me. I could be wrong. I think if there's a championship coming out of Hendrick Motorsports anytime in the next five years, the kid driving the nine is going to get it. Very interesting. Nine one seven eight nine eight two eight zero. Yeah, I, I tell you, I just, I guess my point is I would be encouraged if I was a fan of the other 300 Motorsports cars. Um, with what I've seen the last couple of weeks, I would not because I, I feel better. It's not that those teams are, you're saying they're championship contenders. Maybe the nine can, can prove that. I don't think the 24 and the, and the 80 are there yet. But at least you're feeling a little bit better about where things are. I'm not sure you feel that way about uh, about the 48 car. Kyle Busch, Martin Trucks Jr. was second, ran a great race. Kyle Busch was third. What a run, John, he had through that field. You know, you talked about the fuel issues um, and, and just an absolutely uh, – Great run through the field. I think he restarted that last, I think there was 50 laps to go, somewhere around there. He restarted 31st and without a caution passed every single car up to third. I mean, it was an unbelievable run. I'm just sitting there watching him up the timeline going 16th, 15th, 14th. You're like, wow, here he comes. 10th. Then he gets to 9th. You're just like, wow, he is getting there. It was an unbelievable run. He finished third. But still, you have to be impressed with what you saw from Kyle Busch on Sunday. Yeah, I, the one who I felt bad for was Adam Stevens breaking the news to Kyle Busch whenever he said, we lost the race. Because the um, fuel can didn't distribute the fuel, the whatever the, the pot or whatever the heck it is didn't work, and they didn't get the second tank in. So he come back in 35 laps to go, Kyle Busch restarted 24th after the final caution. And he went from 24th to third in that last run. And Kyle ran into some time where it was getting through to eighth because he's running against Harvick. He was running against um, some good cart Larson, the guys who are looking for points. So the 12th to eighth is where Kyle Busch ran out of time. But I mean, if there would have been a caution, Kyle Busch would have won that race. But, I mean, he had a great run. He ran good. But the thing is, you look at it, Chase Elliott led 52 of the 90 laps. So it's not like Chase Elliott backed into this. Kyle Busch had a problem on pit road, but you said earlier, Chase Elliott passed Kyle Busch on the track. 
So it was a great run. Uh, Kyle Busch showed up. I mean, you look to all the big three finishing the top 10. Harvick wasn't any, he was there, but he wasn't anything to write home about yesterday. Came home with a 10th place finish, but the big three were right there. And Chase Elliott is, we kept talking Kyle Larson being the Chevy to look out for. I think we got to look at Chase Elliott because he's got more points in the last three races than anybody else in the circuit. So Clayton, being the fact that you were at Watkins Glen yesterday, mm. yeah, and we had the we talked about the uh, qualifying. I mean the inspection after qualifying because it was a shortened weekend. So instead of doing the inspection Saturday night after qualifying, they did it yesterday morning. Kurt Busch, Paul Menard failed inspection, went to the back of the pack. I wonder how early they were in the inspection line that NASCAR did not want the fiasco of 13 cars failing inspection on Sunday morning. I wonder if they loosened things up. And the other one I have, I mean, I want your thoughts on that, but the other one that really seemed interesting to me, instead of packing up the whole car to take it back to the R&D center, they took the engine from the number nine. They didn't take the car. They just took the engine. That's a mm. different version of um, post-race inspection Teardowns. that I've seen in a long, long time. Your thoughts, please? Yeah. Well, the first thing I think about the about inspection, you know, I remember that I think the uh, media center opened around 8 o'clock on Sunday. And on Saturday night, I did a little bit of a uh, – I helped out with a, a Facebook Live or a Twitter Live, I should say. And – the people I was working with, they thought there was going to be a lot of a lot of uh, cars that failed inspection, and, and and I don't blame them for that. I think they they said let's do the over under at five and a half, and I don't blame them for that because when you talk, talked about Pocono, you sat there and you said, you know, why it's that thirteen? You're not going to get thirteen cars, but five and a half, six cars, okay, maybe. Um, but I didn't think we'd see that. You know, we didn't see anybody fail post race inspection in the Xfinity Series race. I just don't think teams were pushing the limit as hard. Sure, this, this racetrack, as far as other road courses, is a little bit more susceptible to aerodynamics because it's so much more faster than, you know, let's say a Sonoma or, or a Mid-Ohio or, where the Xfinity Series is running this week. Um, sure, I, I think that, you know, that's faster. But at the end of the day, you have to turn left and right. And uh, I, I just think they put a little bit – they weren't as, as tough on the race cars as they have been in the past. So that's one. Um, I guess my other – and what was your other thing? I'm sorry. I, I completely forgot. Instead of taking the car back and putting it in the, oh, the uh, unmarked hauler, they only took the engine out of yeah. the nine car. They didn't take it out of any other cars, just the nine. Right. That was interesting. And, and Well, they only did the winner, and that's what's interesting. They usually take three cars back. I'm not sure the reason for that. Maybe there's, um, there's a reason for that because of the road courses and stuff like that, but – they didn't really take any cars back to the R&D Center in the Xfinity Series. Now, I'm not there every week, as you know. Um, I don't know if that's standard for the Xfinity Series or not, but they didn't take any cars back to the R&D Center, as far as I, can, as far as I know. So I, I, I thought it was interesting. You know, um, I thought that was why that's the case. I'm not sure. Uh, the engine, obviously, is something that maybe they want to look at a little bit harder and say, well, we usually tear down a car every week. And we kind of want to change it up this week, and we're going to take a, a complete teardown of the engine and tear it down piece by piece and really focus on that instead of the actual race car itself. And this will give us the time to do that. Maybe that's something they're going to look at. Um, I'm not sure. That's a great question, John, because I noticed that too. And, and I noticed that and what I really noticed was the Xfinity Series. But here's my thing. Here's one of the most – I thought one of the most interesting things about the media center this week, and it was Saturday night. And I know you're going to have an, probably have an interesting opinion on this, but we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, NASCAR Media sends out an email, a press release about Bill Elliott driving for GMS Racing on, on Saturday that he's going to be driving the 23 car at uh, Road America in a couple of weeks for GMS Racing. And everybody in the media center was shocked. They got up, had to ask to confirm whether they meant Chase Elliott or whether they meant Bill Elliott in the 23 car, and then they started to read the quotes, and they figured out it was indeed Bill Elliott, who's 62 years old right now and going to run the road course at Mid-Ohio for GMS Racing. That was the most interesting news of the day, just because it shocked people. Um, you know, 
nobody saw that one coming. I mean, here's a guy who's been out of the sport since 2012, hasn't run an Xfinity Series race in 13 years, um, running for GMS Racing. Everybody was really shocked about that. Uh, hey, what the heck? I mean, Bill was my guy growing up, so I'm a little biased. But I, I, I would love to see him go out there and try it again uh, and see what he can do against these guys. And, and interesting from GMS Racing, and the most interesting part about this, and I was talking to Lincoln Virginia about this, is he never said this is his final race. Maybe we'll see Bill Elliott come back and, and run a few races here and there, even next year at the age of 63. What are your thoughts on that as a whole, John, from the outside perspective of Bill Elliott, 62 years old, running the Xfinity Series race at Road America in a couple of weeks? Well, he did say in the post-race show, this is it, at, whenever he does the Road America race. Um, he did say that when they were interviewing with uh, Chris Devota, Kyle Petty, and Dale Jarrett. And both Kyle and Dale sort of going – sort of gave Bill the, what the hell are you thinking there, buddy? 62 years old. Um, it's great for him to do it if he wants to. I think there's every possibility that something bad could happen. You're at the point now, I mean, but then again, who am I to say? Once you race, if you're a racer, that's what you do. That's what you love. Dave Blaney is running 410 sprint cars in the all-star circuit of champions. Tony Stewart ran the 360 nationals at Knoxville and didn't even make the A feature. And he's happy as a pig in crap because he's slinging dirt. Maybe Bill Elliott just needs to scratch that itch once. Cause I mean, he still wants a chance to do it. The opportunity was there and they asked and he said, sure. I mean, that might be what he's doing. I mean, but 62 years old, I mean, and I, it's not, it's not like the 23 cars, piece of crap, 23 cars, decent horsepower. It's got Hendrick motors. It's got, um, the same stuff that junior motorsports has. GMS racing is a good organization. It'd be nice to see him contend. It'd be really, it'd be an unbelievable story to have him win. I just hope <laughs> he comes out of it in good shape. Yeah, I think he will. I mean, um, he ran at road America in a prototype with, Ray Everham, I think in March or April. Um, and so he's got some recent experience there. Uh, obviously, this first the first practice is going to be something to interest. But I think as a race car driver, once you get in that and get that feel, I think you're in good shape. Now, I think it's asking a lot for him to go out and win. It might be asking a lot for him to go out and run in the top 10 at Road America. Uh, you know, he hasn't done this in six years. I mean, last race he ran was in 2012. He ran Daytona. He also ran Talladega that year for Joe Nemechek. He tried to make the Daytona 500 that year and missed for Joe Nemechek, but he ran the 400-miler at Turner Motorsports. That was his last cup start, um, driving a 50 car, the Walmart car, got involved in a wreck midway through the race. But if you remember correctly, in that race, in the middle of that race, Bill Elliott was running third, and that was a Turner Motorsports car with Hendrick Motorsports engines and chassis on there. He was doing very, very well in his last race. So who knows? I mean, um, you never, you never know, but – uh, it was in, it was certainly that was interesting because you, you you see news a lot like that where you don't expect it and it was just what was the reaction and everybody kind of got the email at the time they kind of sat back in their chair and went whoa and they said is this actually true uh, and it was you know I mean awesome Bill is a is like a, he's one of my heroes so um, it's just funny and, and, and crazy how it comes out the day before his son wins an Xfinity Series race on a road course. Bill won his first race on a road course. Bill won his first Xfinity Series race on a road course, first and only Xfinity Series race on a road course. When the Elliots run road courses and they win them, uh, they win them in dramatic fashion, that's for sure. Your first Xfinity race for Bill, your first cup race for Chase, uh, and your first cup race for Bill. So Bill never won again in the Cup Series on a road course except at Riverside. So it's amazing how that all works. And didn't Chase win a truck race in Canada on a yes. road course? Yeah, with the with the epic uh, Ty, Ty Dillon affair at yep. the end of that one where they got kind of got into each other uh, in that final corner, and Chase Elliott went on to victory. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. Um, I think we had a great show. We'll be back here next time. If you like what you, you heard tonight, like us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Um, we'll be posting stuff there periodically and keeping you updated throughout the week here on Talking in Circles. Um, 
and we'll keep you updated on the whole Brian France situation throughout the week. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll see you next time. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.